Well, I, the title of the message and the title of our study for this week is, Who is God? And it comes from the second question that Moses asked, or the excuse that he gives when he's down there in Midian, and God calls him to go to Egypt, and Moses says to the Lord, uh, first, he says, who am I that I should go? And then he says, well, who are you that I, w I should tell him your name? I need to know your name. And in Egypt, they had many false gods. And uh, the Lord answered him, I am that I am. Tell him the I am has sent you. That God is, he exists, he's eternal. And uh, part of God is a, is a mystery. And so we say, well, who is God? I was preaching one night uh, when I was pastoring in Sawarita, and I said, who is God? And everybody just sat there, and I said, who is God? And they just sat there, and I asked it a third time, who is God? And this fellow that I just recently led to the Lord was sitting there, and he said, well, if you don't know, we're all in trouble. <laughs> but, but see, the truth is uh, that we can know God. Part of him's unknowable, and people wrongly assume that because part of God is a mystery, then God is unknowable. Well, that's not true. God is knowable. God has chosen to reveal himself to mankind through his word, through his son, and through his spirit. Like, you and I know each other. Like, Randy and, or Gary, I picked on Randy enough this morning. Gary and Alice know each other. But they still mystify each other. Uh, couples, no matter how long you've been married, remember Mr. and Mrs. Jean Main. Some of you old timers will remember them. And uh, they were over at our house once, and Mr. Jean was talking about when he was playing the guitar when he was a young man. <laughs> how long were they married then? Like 60, 62 years. And she turns to him and says, What? I never knew you played the guitar. He said, oh, I played it all the time till we got married. And he said, she said, how come you never told me? He said, you never asked. <laughs> Still a mystery after 62 years. And, and God is so magnificent that no matter how deeply you know God, he's always going to be beyond your capacity to fully comprehend. So we're going to start out tonight, not in Exodus chapter 3, where Moses gives that excuse, but in Isaiah chapter 55, we're going to look at several passages in Isaiah, and we're going to look in Genesis, and we're going to look in Revelation. You'd say, well, I thought we were doing a series from Exodus. Well, we are. Uh, we're doing a series on Moses' excuses, and I gave the introduction, and this week you'll have in the devotions, the, the uh, digital files that are on YouTube, you'll have uh, information that you can get uh, that talks about the different attributes of God, but our focus tonight is, is differently than what we're going to be doing this week. That's in addition to what we're doing tonight. And in Isaiah chapter 55, verse number 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says your parents. Right, kids? No. Saith the Lord, says the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your thoughts, and my thoughts than your thoughts. My ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Uh, now, picture the earth, all right? That's real easy, right? You're kind of sitting on something stuck on the earth. Now, how high are the heavens? Well, uh, the first heaven 
in Scripture describe the first heaven. That's where the birds fly. Uh, that first heaven includes where the airplanes fly. Uh, all the way up to the edge of our atmosphere. That's the first heaven. The second heaven is where the stars are, where the galaxies are. Uh, the rest of the universe beyond the atmosphere of planet Earth. And God, the third heaven, is where God is. And God said his thoughts are as high above the earth as your, compared to your thoughts. Now imagine that. From here to the sun, how far is that? Like, long way. 93 million miles? That's what I was thinking about. So... Point, give or take, you know, half a dozen miles. 93 million, that's from Earth to the sun. That's the closest star. That's within our solar system. And you go out there and trillions of light years away, and every time they send a probe out into space, it finds out there's more space out there than they thought. It just goes on and on and on. And God says his, thought, his thoughts are higher than the heavens compared to the earth. The farthest star compared to the earth. His thoughts are that much bigger than our thoughts. So it's impossible for you to fully understand God. But that's okay. I mean, you don't fully understand your spouse, right? Nobody does. You don't fully understand your kids. Your kids don't fully understand their parents. The most brilliant computer technician cannot understand why systems have glitches. They can find them. They can repair some of them. But they don't know why. The technical term they use, the phrase they use is stuff happens. Right, Jeff? <laughs> It just does sometimes. And uh, the best mechanic cannot fix everything. The most gifted musician understands that sometimes when you're performing music, it's like a joyful art. You feel at one with the music. And other times, you're just really having to work at it. The most talented artists cannot understand why one of their pictures would be considered a masterpiece, while the one they painted right before that and the one they painted after that, they're just good. That's a good one. That's a masterpiece. That's a good one. They don't understand why. It's impossible to fully understand God. A few years back, I sat on the floor crying with a mom and dad. We'd kind of collapsed in a heap on the middle of the floor. They had lost their children in a fatal car accident. And I started to say something, and the mom sat up, and she poked her finger right in my face, like this far from my nose. It was really close. Don't you dare tell me that God's going to use this for good in my life. Don't you dare tell me that. And I told her, that's not what I was going to say. I said, I do not understand why God allowed this. I don't understand the, the grief and loss that you were enduring and why God that, let that happen. But I know this, that God showed his love for me when he let his son die for me for my sins on the cross. 
And so even though I don't understand what God does, I choose to trust him because the areas I do understand, I know he's trustworthy and I choose to trust him in the areas where I don't understand. And I didn't say this to her and I would never say this to a person in a crisis. But I will say this to those of us who are here tonight who are not in a crisis right now. God loves you too much to shelter you from the experience that will help you grow spiritually. He loves you too much to shelter you from that. And sometimes we grow spiritually the most during times of loss, during times of hardship and heartache. And that's when we grow the most. So it is impossible for you to fully understand. You know what? That's good news. Don't you think so? If we could fully understand God, that means he fits within the limited capacity of your brain. God is way beyond us. But... He does tell us some things about himself that we can understand. You're still in Isaiah 55. Look at verse 6. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. God invites you into a relationship with him. He invites you into a relationship with him. He knows you completely. And he invites you to know him personally. Now, we're going to look at some of the verses Jim and Cloyce read earlier, but also a few more. Uh, Isaiah chapter 44. Turn there, please. Isaiah 44. Uh, I think Cloyce read this one. Isaiah 44, verse 24. Thus says the Lord. When you see Lord in all caps like that in the King James and the New King James, what does that mean? It means it's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, some translations say Jehovah, some say Yahweh. It is the Lord Jesus Christ that is referring to. So thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, Jesus is the one who accomplished our redemption. He who formed you from the womb. God's the one who superintended your birth. You are the exact mix of your father's chromosomes and your mother's chromosomes. By God's design, he made you all mixed up. And that's the truth. I am the Lord who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone. Nobody helped him. Who spreads abroad the earth by myself. So the Lord says, I am your redeemer. I want to know you personally. I want to save your soul. I'm connected with you. Even though I'm the almighty God who created the whole universe, I want to be in personal fellowship with you. That's pretty cool. I mean, I feel blessed that my kids like getting together with each other and they like having me around. I know some families, the kids love to get together, but they don't want dad. And the kids love to get together except for that one kid. You know, and our kids all like to get together. They like to have us there. God 
wants all of his kids to get together with him. Jesus' dream is that we be together with him in his father's house. That's his plan for us. He wants us to be connected with him. He invites you into a relationship with him. Now, Isaiah 45, verse 5. I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me. Now, pause just a moment and think about that phrase. There is no God besides me. What do you think, um, how would that relate to a church, say, uh, so-called church, that says you can become a god? That the men could become a god anyway. They're working on maybe women will be allowed to be god someday too. They're, they're, where you can become a, your own god and create your own universe. This verse says that can't happen. The god of the Bible is not the god of that church. Because the God of the Bible said, I'm the only God, there is no other. Nobody else is God, nobody else can be God. He is distinctly different from God, I'm sorry, from humanity, yet he wants to be connected with humanity. Verse 5 continues, I will gird you though you have not known me. He said, I'm giving you strength. You didn't really know me, but I'm providing for you that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting, from the east to the west, that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. Now, this is awkward for us to grab our head. I make peace and create calamity or evil. Uh, God sends judgments. Uh, if you read in the book of Revelation, there's some judgments God's going to send on the earth. One of the judgments is an asteroid that's going to hit. It's going to wipe out a fourth of the population. God is sending that as part of his judgment. So when the, this verse says that God creates evil or makes evil, it doesn't mean that God does evil things, but that God does things that people view as evil. He does things that hurt but he does them out of righteousness as part of his character. He's not malicious or vindictive, nor did he create evil just so we had the yin and the yang. God is all light. In him is no darkness at all. So uh, then he says, I, the Lord, do all these things. Jump down to verse 12. I have made the earth and created man on it. It was I, my hands that stretched out the heaven, and all their host I have commanded. Jump down to verse number 22. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. See, he invites you, in, invites you into a relationship with him. Uh, look at Isaiah 46, verse 5. To whom will ye liken me and make me equal and compare me that we should be alike? God says, I, I, I don't compare to anybody. Uh, look at verse 9. Uh, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Okay, back to 
chapter 55 and verse number 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. God is not just this awesome creator who made this amazing universe. God connects with you. He, he doesn't just have amazing attributes and characteristics and abilities. The one true God voluntarily and permanently identifies himself with the people who choose to trust and follow him. He connects with them. And that has always been his plan. So mark your spot in Isaiah and turn to Genesis chapter 1. It's the, the book right after preface. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1, I'm sorry, I get carried away sometimes. Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Now, um, we understand that God is a trinity. That was revealed in scripture. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God in three distinct persons. It's hard for us to wrap our head around that. Uh, God said one of the closest uh, ways for us to understand that is in a marriage relationship where you have one man and one woman and yet they become one flesh and they're unified. Now, we know a lot of human marriages that aren't unified like that, but that's the way they're supposed to be. That's, that's the ideal. That's God's plan. And so Father, Son, and Spirit, one God, but three distinct persons. And so let us make man in our image. The fullness of God is reflected when men and women work together to serve God. Look what he says. Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle. So it's okay for us to eat snakes. By the way, he spells that out in Genesis 9. Anyway, uh, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, created he him, male and female created he them. In some fundamental churches, you get the idea that God in creation created Adam. And Adam is a reflection of God. And then he also created Eve to be somebody who'd help Adam. That's not what this says. God created male and female so that male and female together reflect the image of God. Not always in marriage, sometimes in marriage, sometimes in friendship, sometimes in partnership of serving God together. We reflect the image of God. Now, look at verse 31. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. God divinely interacted with his creation. In chapter 2, we see God forming Adam from the dust of the ground. When he created cows and elephants and dinosaurs, he just spoke, and there they were. When he created stars and galaxies, he spoke, and there they were. But with man, he shaped them out of the dirt. He touched them. And then he breathed into man the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And then he took from the rib of Adam, and he created Eve. Uh, the creation of man and woman was special. It was unique. They were the part of all of creation that reflects the image of God. 
that God's imprint was stamped into humanity from the very beginning. And then God commissioned them to serve as his representatives on earth and to oversee all of creation and to work in the garden. That was God's plan. And then in, in chapter 3, we find Adam and Eve have sinned. And then they hear the voice of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God has come down to be with them, to connect with them, and identify with them. God invites you into relationship with him, Isaiah 55 says. Now, turn to the book of Revelation. That will be his plan at the end of time. That was his plan at the beginning. That's his plan at the end. Revelation. Not quite the end of the book. Revelation 21. In Revelation 21, John says, I saw, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Uh, Peter said all the elements will melt with fervent heat. Isn't it funny what, I mean it's sad what people fight and die over. People will kill each other for money. For a little bit of gold. People fight and have wars over a little bit of land. Uh, years ago uh, Pete Rice had a crusade. Uh, he's a missionary we support. He had a crusade in Venezuela, and he had a map that he received from National Geographic Society. And so he printed that map of Venezuela on the flyers for the crusade. And then they went down to Venezuela, and there was a big problem. Because there was a part of Venezuela that was disputed with a neighboring country. And the Venezuelans claimed that on their map, but the map that he got, what did I say it was from? But National Geographic, that's right. I thought I'd said United Nations, but it was National Geographic. They gave that land to the neighboring country. So Pete got hauled in. They thought he was a spy trying to help the enemy country and almost stopped the crusade. Thankfully, the crusade went on. We rejoiced to see more than a 1,000 people saved during that crusade. God really worked. It was a great, uh, exciting outcome of that crusade. But uh, what... They, they had the map wrong. And, and so God says, the people who are fighting over that little bit of land in, in Israel, I have never been to Israel. I've seen lots of pictures and videos and that of Israel. And most of the people who go over to Israel, they're amazed at how small it is and, and how puny the River Jordan is. Well, you know, it's kind of funny because I've, I've known people in Arizona say, I, I just can't believe there, there was a big flood that... Joshua and the people had to get across because I saw the River Jordan and there's nothing to it. Yeah, I've seen the Gila River too, and it's just dirt. Except for the flood season, when it's a raging torrent and it once wiped out the bridge on I-10. So, in Arizona, we should understand that River Jordan can look wimpy when it's not flood season. And tourists don't usually go in flood season. Why? They don't want to get whooshed away. So uh, anyway, uh, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. All this fighting over all this stuff is going to be inconsequential someday. 
Also, there was no more sea. I, I don't comprehend that. I've stood at Lake Michigan, and it looks like you're at the ocean, right? You stand on the shore of Lake Michigan. It's so big, you can't see land on the other side. I've swum in lakes and rivers all across the country and been to the ocean in Mexico and, and in the Gulf of Mexico and the Atlantic coast from south to north and the Pacific coast from south to north and a lot of travel, a lot of time. I can't imagine life with no seas. Kathy loves the sound of the ocean. If I could learn to snore like the ocean, she would love it. Unfortunately, I snore more like a volcanic eruption. But, okay, then verse 2. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven say, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. Now, look at the tenderness of this. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Leah had a funny moment, awkward, painful moment. At lunch today, she got out of her chair to do something. When she came back to the table, she slipped and she fell and she hit right on the corner of the table. Smack. And so I said, get up and eat and hush up, girl. No, I was happened to be the one sitting beside her and I just picked her up and held her for a minute. God's going to wipe away the tears Do you think God wants to connect with you? Absolutely. There shall be no more death. Amen. Our missionary, Scott Murphy, just lost his mother. She's served in him and with ministry since actually right out of college. He was serving in ministry with her, and then she began serving in ministry with him. And, and uh, just till recently, and she was in hospice. She was doing poorly. He rejoiced they got back to town before she passed away. They got in at like 12.30 in the morning, and she passed away at 5.30 in the morning uh, yesterday. And so Scott let us know that, and the missions team sending a card to him. We really appreciate his faithfulness and her faithfulness. A single mother raised her son to be a missionary and served with him in missions for all those years. But there's not going to be death anymore. There's not going to be sorrow. How many of you kids, you know, there was a time when you got a new toy, right? You loved that toy. It was a new toy. It was a great toy. And it broke. How many of you have experienced that? Yeah. It happens. Sometimes the very day you get it, it was new. It's now broken. No more sorrow. No crying. You know what that means? No chick flicks in heaven. No crying. And there shall be no more pain. <laughs> Won't that be great? I've watched after church sometimes. People get up out of their chairs. Oh, they're creaking and groaning. I'm not because I haven't been sitting. Otherwise, I would be. Uh, the former things have passed away. He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things Oh, what a blessing 
God is, is this awesome creator who loves and cares for you individually. That was his plan uh, from the beginning to connect with people, to create them in his image, to have special fellowship with humanity that the angels be, are bewildered over. They don't understand the amazing love and connection that God has for humanity. And I know there's people out there who love animals more than people, and God doesn't. God loves animals. He created them. But he really loves people. After he created all kinds of birds and fish and everything, he said, that's good. But after he created man, he said, that's very good. He invites you into relationship with him back in Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. That's God's plan for all time. His plan for life forever is for you to be connected with him. Verse number 7 of Isaiah 55. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon God loves you. He cares about you. He wants to connect with you, identify with you. But he loves you. I, I, not but. He loves you just the way you are. Now here's where the but comes in. But he doesn't want you to stay that way. We, we just read. He wants the, the wicked one to forsake his ways. He wants the unrighteous man to turn away from those unrighteous thoughts. He wants him to return to the Lord and focus on him and seek forgiveness. Uh, turn to Isaiah chapter 1, please. Isaiah chapter 1. He loves you just as you are, but he wants you to change. As Jesus told the woman caught in the very act of adultery, he said, paraphrasing, I'm not going to condemn you but I don't want you to keep living the way you were. Stop that sinning. Go and sin no more. When he walked on the earth, he was continually urging his disciples to grow, to mature, to be more spiritual. And he still wants that for his disciples today. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16. Wash yourselves and make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. See, kids, your parents love you no matter what. They will still love you no matter what you do. In, in the uh, devotionals this week, I tell, briefly mention a story of when my dad had to pick me up at the police station. Not the most shining moment of my life. Not the most joyful moment of his life. He had to pick me up at the police station. But you know what? He was willing to do that because he loved me. But do you think he ever wanted to be there picking me up there ever again? No. He didn't. 
only does God love you too much to shelter you from opportunities for spiritual growth, no matter how painful they are, but God also loves you too much to leave you the way you are. He calls you to a life of growth. He calls you to a life of change as you mature and become more like Christ and you build your relationship with him. Who is God? He's an awesome God who has amazing love for people. We can't understand why he loves people so much. I don't love me as much as God loves me. I get disgusted with me sometimes. I get frustrated with me sometimes. God loves me and cares for me. And all I, if I confess my sins, he is willing to forgive my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. God feels the exact same way about you. He feels that way about your obnoxious neighbor. He feels that way about that person at work who kind of drives you crazy. He feels that way about people all around the world. God has that kind of love for terrorists who would like to see you die. God would like to see them saved and transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Who is God? He's the God who invites us individually, personally, and collectively into relationship with Him, who gives us the opportunity to be transformed by His Word, by His Son, by His Spirit. And it gives us a chance to have a connection with omnipotence because He is Almighty God and we are His people. And he lets us know that even though we have sorrows and suffering in this life, there's coming a day when he will wipe away all tears from your eyes. He's not going to send his angels to do it. God's going to have that. That's his choice. And he will gladly do it because he wants to touch you. Connect with you. Be close to you. As James said, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. As Isaiah said, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. He is our God. Amazing. Awesome God. And he can transform our lives. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We don't understand. We try and understand you, but you are so beyond us. And we do understand some. You've revealed a lot about yourself to us. And we can appreciate that. But there are even things we understand intellectually, like your omnipotence or your omniscience or your omnipresence. And we understand those intellectually, but, but it's really hard to, to really understand it in our heart. And so some days we doubt you. We question you. And you love us anyway. Because you are amazing. I, I pray that we would do like the psalmist did. When we have those doubts, that we would remind ourselves that you do love us and you are trustworthy. And we would go back to looking at your son on the cross and we would say, I know God cares for me because Jesus died for me. Father, I pray 
that you would stir our hearts in a way that draws us closer to you. While you are near, while you are there speaking, you're not far from us, the, another scripture says. You, you want to connect with us like, like Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I pray that we would come to you, that we would pray to you, that we would read your word, that we would draw close to you, and I pray that we would do the work that you have called us to do. Because you are our God, and we are your people. And in our family, that's what we do. In our family, we do the work of our Father who is in heaven. And we want his work to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, may you bless us and encourage us because we focused on your word. May you use this study this week to strengthen us and encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing, Ah, Lord God.